Um, so my name is Naomi, and um, I'm really glad to be able to share with you this morning from the Bible. Um, but we're going to continue the practice of what we've done the past few weeks, where um, as we come into the space of, of listening to God's word and of continuing that space of worship, because when we listen to God's word, we're still worshiping him. Whenever we sit still, we're still worshiping him. Whenever we stand, whenever we walk about, we're worshiping Jesus. And so we want to do that as we sing and as we pray and as we listen and as we read. Um, and so I'm going to invite um, Claire and Lorraine who are going to come up um, to the front with us and um, if you're able, if you'd stand with me um, and we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together and then Claire um, is going to read the passage of scripture to us as well. So why don't you stand with me if you're able and Lorraine will lead us in the Lord's Prayer to begin. So let's say this together. Yeah. Our Father... Come, be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day a daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those that sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For mine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And our reading is from Matthew 13, 31 to 34. The parables of the mustard seed and the yeast. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, Yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds can come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, Lorraine. So this passage that we're in today is actually just a continuation from where we were last week. If you were with us last week, this is just the next little bit. So Jesus is still sitting out by the lake. He is still teaching the crowds that have come and gathered around him. And this is just the next little thing that he says. He's already dropped a fair few kind of shocks and surprises on them as they have been listening to him. And unlike us, they didn't have a week in between to process it or to forget it. They are hearing it just as it keeps coming. We've learned over the past few weeks uh, from Zach in our first week that the kingdom of God is mysterious. There is a deep mystery in the work that God does in our lives. And last week, Odell spoke about how the kingdom of God is messy. We see abundant good and abhorrent evil growing together in the here and now. And we live in that constant tension that it won't always be that way. 
Today we're exploring the idea that the kingdom of God is uncontainable. Yet what we will discover is that this uncontainable growth of the kingdom, it doesn't happen how we may expect it to. It doesn't happen with a boom and a flash and a shout. The uncontainable nature of the kingdom of God has these small and insignificant beginnings. Does that sound familiar to you? Can you see the pattern? This is what we are continually learning. It is never what we expect it to be. There's a theologian called Leonora Tubbs Tisdale, and she talks about the world inverting nature of these parables of Jesus. That as Jesus is revealing the kingdom to his listeners and to us through these stories, he is showing us just how different the rule and reign of God is. It has never been then or now like the rules and reigns that we see around us. Rather, it is one of revolutionary reversals. So we've got two parables here, just two short little snippets, one about a mustard seed and one about yeast. And we're just going to walk through both of them today and see what they have to show us about this uncontainable kingdom. So first, the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Now this is an interesting one. We can read this one and start to take it at face value and begin to analyze it and think, well, like a mustard seed, it is pretty small, but is it like definitely the smallest seed ever? A mustard tree, it's not really a tree, it's more like a bush. Is it the largest of all garden plants? Probably not. What's going on? Do we then call it into question? Pick it apart? Wonder about the validity of these claims? Maybe we do. But what if we were to allow for the idea that this parable is not actually about botany? It's not about facts. It's a metaphor. Jesus is speaking as he does in all of these parables. He's teaching us through metaphor. Who knows, maybe there was a mustard bush within his sight as he was talking. So if it's not about botany, what is he actually saying? The question we should be asking when we read these parables is, Jesus, what do you want us to know about the kingdom of God? First, The kingdom of God has insignificant beginnings, which is both a comfort to us and a frustration, right? I find great comfort in knowing that the small beginnings, the insignificant starts, that they might actually be okay, that they might be used by God. And at the same time, I'm frustrated because I want it to look good from the start. And I want it to be established right from the off. But that is not how things work in the kingdom of God. That's how they work in the world, or at least that's the expectation that we have in the world. But that's not how they work in the kingdom. And for the listeners at this time, this is the very last thing that they wanted to hear. They were not up for an insignificant start. 
They already felt fairly insignificant as it was. Rather, when they were waiting in this Messiah, they were looking for a king with a crown and a throne and an entourage and a social power that would elevate them once again. Yet what they got was a mustard seed. One man, early 30s, with an incredible draw, but not a lot to his name. A ragtag bunch of fishermen and tax collectors, and most importantly, the ever-growing realization that the vested interests of the religious sect that were rigorously protected through their constructed hierarchies and rules were not going to be protected by this man, Jesus. Rather, they were being torn down right in front of their eyes. Whether they were rich or poor, social climbers or at the bottom of the heap, it didn't look anything like they wanted it to. And it reminds me, as I have read it this week, so much of what we see of God across scripture. Yes, he is a big God with a big plan, but he is also a God with a remarkable love of the small things. The small starts, the insignificant, could barely hold it between your fingertips, mustard seed. In the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, God speaks a word about the small and the insignificant to a a people who were captivated by the big. They were rebuilding the temple and to those who remembered it the first time around, it was nothing like it was before. They were weeping at its insignificance. And so God says this to them. He says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. What is that to us then? Because Jesus has come. The Messiah has come. We are not Jewish, so we're not expecting it in the same way that they were. But yet in our lives and in our worlds, like them, we still struggle with the small sometimes. Here's a question. Are you looking around yourself and inside yourself for signs of the presence of the kingdom. Is that something we do? Are you looking around yourself and inside yourself for anything you can find, for a glimpse or a flash, for a sign of the kingdom? Are we dismissing any small beginnings, despising them because they're nowhere near what we want them to be? What would happen if we began to honor those smallest seeds in our lives? The small ways that you share the love of Christ, the small ideas that you have, the little ways that you seek to honor Christ in the everyday. Do not despise these small beginnings because God doesn't despise them or dismiss them. He rejoices in them deeply. And he rejoices deeply in you as well. The kingdom of God has insignificant beginnings. Yet it grows exponentially and invasively 
The mustard tree metaphor continues. Mustard plants are quick growing, they are quick to establish, they've got strong roots, and they can stage a little bit of a garden takeover. They may start small, but they do not stay that way. The way of the kingdom of God seems to be a bit like a, before you know it, things are changing. Growth is happening. And it's interesting that Jesus uses this metaphor of a mustard tree because elsewhere in scripture we see the metaphor of a great oak being used and the mustard plant, it does not have the majesty of a great oak. Nor does it have the kind of beauty and the delight of spring flowers that burst before our eyes. It's kind of a bit of an insignificant plant. Like it's not ugly, but it's not that special. It's a bit of an under the radar kind of plant. It just gets along with its growing. However, compared to where it starts, and I think this is why Jesus uses it, it goes from something that is so tiny you would struggle to hold it between your fingers to at its height and maturity, something that would be three or four times the height of me and in perfect conditions could be up to 20 feet wide. It just quietly goes about growing and taking over the space. Why does Jesus draw our attention to this aspect of the kingdom? I wonder perhaps if it's because he didn't want his listeners or us to live unaware of the work of God in our lives and in our world. How easy it can be to live unaware of the work of God in our lives because we are distracted and overwhelmed by busyness by worry, by bad news, by good news, by the troubles of this world, by the troubles in our own lives. Our attention spans are stretched to breaking points. Our diaries are so full to burst. And we don't always notice, never mind look for the work of the kingdom in our lives. And yet, just like the mustard plant, it will happen. God is working. The kingdom is growing, moving, changing things, transforming lives. And so I wonder if the invitation that Jesus would give to us this morning is, will you pay attention? Will you come and see? Come and see what I am doing. How could you respond to that invitation today in your own life? Because often it requires like an actual practical step. Perhaps you could create even a little bit of space or silence each day to listen to God in a place where there is currently a lot of noise in your life. On a walk, on the bus, on your commute, in the early morning, in the late hours. Create a little bit of space to come and see. To say to Jesus, I have come. I want to see what you're doing in my life. I don't know how to do that. I don't know what it will look like, but I've come. And I want to see. 
Or perhaps you simply need to recognize the places where you are stretched because you know that maybe not much change can come there right now. And instead of saying, well, maybe it's just not for now, bring that place of stretch to Jesus and say, this is the place where I feel like I have no room and it is stretching me to breaking point. Will you take it? Will you transform it? Will you show me where you have been faithfully growing things even without me noticing? In the final bit of this parable, we read about the birds that come to nest in the branches of the mustard tree. And now this is imagery that really would not have been lost on those that were listening. Because by using this idea of birds of the air, Jesus was referring to the idea that the kingdom of God was not just for the Jews. It was not just for those who were listening. It would include those who were outside Judaism too, the Gentiles. This is big revolutionary stuff for them. This is not what they were liking to hear. But I think what Jesus is saying to these people here is the kingdom of God is a safe place where all are welcome. Maybe he's saying to those listening, hey, you Jewish people, up until now, you've had a pretty controlling hand on deciding who is in and who is out. So let me show you a different way. Let me show you a way where those you maybe weren't expecting to have to share space with are now those you become family with, make home with, serve with, worship with. This would have been incredibly stirring for them. And it should be stirring for us too. I know for the most part, we really like to think um, that we're not overly prejudiced people. That is exactly what I like to think of myself, that I am not an overly prejudiced person. However, that's just not true because I hold my own prejudices and my own opinions. As you come before Jesus today, is there anyone, maybe even a particular person that comes to your mind who you know if you were truly honest with yourself that you're holding a prejudice over? Maybe it's something they do or say, but like those listening, you know that you would have a bit of an issue if they came and nested in your tree, so to speak. That would not bring you a lot of joy. It would perhaps make you incredibly uncomfortable. Will we have the courage today to pray the humbling prayer that the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139? Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Because the kingdom of God is a safe place where all are welcome. It's quite a lot, isn't it? I'll just uh, remind you that we've only studied two sentences so far. I had wondered if the word uncontainable was the right word for today, and I think it actually is. I don't know about you, but as I have prepared this and as I, I preached it in the 9.15 this morning and as I preach it here, my heart is stirred and my heart is swimming. 
but I am up for that if you are too. We've dealt with the mustard seed and now we go to the yeast. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. We go from one very small element with a big effect to another very small element with a big effect. Why yeast? Why is that the metaphor that Jesus uses here? Did he have some delicious sourdough toast for his breakfast before going on his walk? I am not sure. Did he pass a local bakery on the way to the shore with someone making an abundance of bread and it just kind of was on his mind? Maybe, perhaps though, we could make room for the idea that he is once again doing as Jesus does and making a fairly major point to his listeners. Because if you start to talk about yeast to Jewish listeners at this time, you've got a captive audience who know exactly what the deal is with yeast. Yet, once again, this story is not going to go how they expect. Because yeast, or leaven as it's talked about elsewhere, has a pretty bad press in Judaism. It was scrupulously removed from the house before the feast of the Passover. In the book of Leviticus, we read about how it was forbidden to offer anything to God that was leavened as a grain offering. So you couldn't worship with that. And unleavened bread was often the bread of choice for moments of spiritual significance, for moments of honoring God. Look back through your Bible and anytime you see like a messenger or an angel come and visit someone, they often bring a gift. The people that they're visiting bring a gift to them. It's usually some kind of meat and some kind of unleavened bread. What is Jesus doing here? I think he's doing something pretty incredible. He is comparing the most sacred thing, the kingdom of God, to one of the least sacred things, leaven. Honestly, I think this would have been unbelievably offensive to his listeners. Who knows, perhaps they even got angry as they listened. But it is again evidence of that world-inverting nature of the kingdom. That which was thought bad is turned on its head for good. And it's not just a little bit of good. Because we get another detail here, if you noticed. This woman is working the yeast into about 60 pounds of flour, which is quite a lot, okay? That is enough to make like about 100 loaves of bread. Which is, that's a lot of bread for a story set in a domestic setting. It should stand out to us. It should be something that we question why so much bread? It's excessive, right? Exactly. That's the point. This is not just enough bread for her and her family, or even for the neighbors or the extended family that she actually likes. This is enough bread that would just have to be given out left, right, and center to anybody that was available. It is sheer abundance. Because the kingdom of God is abundant, it is uncontainable, and it is for sharing with everyone. And yet, this abundance, again, in an entirely Jesus-like way, comes from something which can't be seen 
It is that mystery once again. Think about it. Once the yeast has been incorporated into the dough and the work has begun, the yeast cannot be found. It is now invisible and indivisible from the whole. But yet its effects are not stunted. Do we believe the same of the kingdom of God in our lives? Do we trust in the invisible work? Do we trust in the invisible work? And do we believe for the abundant spread? These parables, like all of Jesus' teaching, are stretching and they are challenging. Yet these two are, are really hopeful as well. Because here we learn that the insignificant is not insignificant to God. The small is not despised or dismissed by God. And the invisible can lead to abundance. The invitation then, I think, is that we would allow our hearts to be transformed. That our inner beings would be transformed so that we are those who look and search and seek for signs of the presence of the kingdom anywhere and everywhere that we can. And that posture, though it may take time and though it is something we will have to do again and again and again, it will transform so much in our lives and it has transformed so much in so many people's lives. It feels like a hugely counterintuitive thing right now to get your hopes up about anything, doesn't it? Yet when I resolve to look for signs of the presence of the kingdom, the key word being resolve there, when I resolve to do that, when I decide to do that, a true hope begins to rise. It is not happiness, it is not pacifying something and it is not ignoring the reality but rather it is a steely and a sure and a steadfast hope that endures that strengthens my soul and then it means that we can trust we can trust for growth that is beyond our expectations it will lead us to spread out our branches to those who normally aren't welcomed. And it will mean that the flavor of God's kingdom permeates every inch of our lives and our worlds so that we, though we are just a small part, can trust that God may use his church like yeast in the flower of this world permeating everything. It means we can trust in abundance. Thankfully, you are not asked to muster this up by yourself. Wouldn't last very long. And it would take an awful lot of pressure. Human effort can neither produce yeast, nor the mustard seeds, nor control their growth. We look, we watch, we expect, we hope, but God does the work. So would you invite that work into your life again 
today. Let me pray for us. Jesus, though your words are challenging, we invite their work in us. Though your words are stretching, we invite their work in us. Though your words niggle us, we invite their work in us. We invite your work in us, God, because we know it is good for us and it is for our good. So as we have come around your word this morning, we know that this is just the beginning. So will you continue to stretch us, to challenge us, to niggle us, to grow us? So that we become those whose life is based on that sure and steadfast and enduring hope. We invite your work in our life today.